Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. Philippians chapter two, before we get there, We are in a series in the book of Philippians. Many of you remember the series that we did through the book of Daniel. Uh, I enjoy going through a chapter at a time on a Sunday. I know some of you do as well. I believe that biblical literacy matters. And so we're going to just go through this book uh, this holiday season. And we're in chapter 2 today of the book of Philippians. If you missed last week, I talked about really the theme of being a citizen of joy. Uh, There is a season that's ahead of us called the holiday season, and it's usually associated with joy. There's songs with joy in it. We talk about joy. We talk about joy to the world. So how do we become a citizen of joy? Especially when we're usually pre-wired and circumstantially wired to be citizens of something altogether. How many of you want joy in your life? Put your hand up. No matter what happens, you want to look in the mirror and you want to see who Christ is in you. You, No matter what happens, whatever diagnosis, you want to walk through joy. We all do. I mean, everyone's hand should be up. You're lazy. Put your hand up. Let's go. Come on, church. There we go. Fine. We all want joy. So let's talk about how to be a a citizen of joy. Uh, We talked last week uh, a little bit how we got the book of Philippians. It's really important to understand. Uh, Paul was missing for two years. They sent this guy. He's in jail. He sends this back. And this is the book of Philippians to this church that started with a jailer and a woman named Lydia on the side of a river. Uh, There is definitely um, sort of an underpinning here when we talked a little bit about what makes a civilization. There was four elements. Uh, We talked last week about the difference between joy and happiness. There is a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is this eternal condition. Happiness is this external reality. We talked a little bit about the difference between uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And if you missed that, make sure you go back and listen to that podcast or uh, watch that video. Uh, I defined specifically what a citizen of joy is. It's on the screen. The citizen of joy is anyone or one who participates in the biblical order of cultural creation through the lens of Christ in the four elements of any civilization. Fancy way of saying a citizen of joy creates, looks at the world through the lens of Christ, and there's four specific areas that make a civilization what it is. We got to look through those four specific places through the Word of God. Economic provision, political organization, moral tradition, and the pursuit of the knowledge in the arts. A citizen of joy is that. And so how do we become someone who's participating in that biblical order of these areas of our life through the lens of Christ? Well, it's a big question, and the book of Philippians helps us do that. That's why we're studying this, so we can be a citizen of joy. Last week, I talked about joy and the tension, um, the marvels of the Christian life. How many of you are marveled um, 
by Marvel. How many of you are more like a DC fan? Okay. I'm not, no need to talk about that right now. Jeez, I struck a chord there. That was even more heated than like the Packer Viking thing. Um, so the point is, is we've got wonders of the world. You know, the Great Wall of China, which you can literally see from space. The huge hole in Arizona called the what? Grand Canyon. That's right. Uh, so there's all these different wonders of the world and the marvels of the Christian life. We went through them. If we're going to live in the tension and be a citizen of joy, we had to embrace these marvels, these amazing things that are just awestruck and beautiful when you really explore them. There's eight of them. I gave them to you. Here it is for review. Number one, we'll go through these. You are in process. And on the screen. No, maybe not. Yeah, there we go. Just like the screen was in process. Um, you're in process. You haven't arrived. When is God going to finish working in your life? Tuesday, next week? When you're married? When you finally get unaddicted? Like, when is he done working in your life? Come on, just be honest. Scripture says the day of Christ Jesus. And you're in process until that moment. So relax. We're all in process. Number two, your trials are inspiration for other people. You know all the crap you go through? All the stuff that's heavy that you don't want to face, that's dealing with you, that you have to face death, disease, go through the list. You know all that stuff? That is actually inspiration for others, especially when you navigate it the way God would have you navigate it. Your trials, the marvel of this is that God will use your trials to actually inspire others. It blows my mind. God uses people, well, number one, I'm sorry, I missed that on my notes. Is you, That's why you didn't get it. This is my fault. Number one rule of leadership, it's always your fault. So it's my fault. The number one on this list is that you need others. Case in point for our illustration about Amaya on the, on the slides. <laughs> We need each other. You need others. You can't do this alone. The marvel of the Christian life is that you are wired not to go at this by yourself, but you need people in this room. Does that make sense? And I can't do everything for everyone, but you need each other. The marvel of the Christian life is that we aren't wired to be isolated. It's just not going to work. Number two is you're in process. Number three, your trials are inspiration. Number four, this was my favorite one last week because it got a little bit of a... Uh, uh, maybe a laugh, maybe um, a velvet two-by-four for some of you. Um, God uses people you don't like. And for some of you, that's me. Right? Danielle? No? Okay. It's my wife. Number five, deliverance is found either way. Paul says, in life or death, whether I die or whether I make it, I'm going to be delivered from this. I want you to know that. Like, you have a way that you think that you need to navigate through the challenges in your life. And you think that is going to be the solution. And anything short of that isn't the solution. Whose solution is that? Yours. And Paul says, no, listen, whether life or death, not my solution. It could be this, could be that. As long as it's his solution, I'm going to be delivered either way. I'm going to be a citizen of joy find that so interesting how we're delivered whether we want it to go that way or it goes a different way. Number six, death is not the defeat. I say this all the time at funerals that I do. Death is not the end. It's just simply a bend in the road. Death is not the defeat. Uh, sometimes death is essential for you. Death to your flesh, death to your old life, death to, the, to your old self. Some of you are slowly dying of your clubbing lifestyle. You come to church and you play the part, but, you know, Saturday night, you're wearing a silk shirt and your shoes are in a circle. And you're slowly dying to those things because the Holy Spirit's uprooting those things. And you know what? That's actually good. Some of those things you actually do need to die from. 
because it's killing you. It will bring death to you. Death is not defeat. Uh, I found this was really interesting through the book of Philippians chapter 1. Finding your someone, somebody to serve, um, suffering gets purpose. Some of you have got some really hard situations with your daughter. Some of you got some really hard situations with your kids. Some of you have got some really tough stuff you're going through, that you've been through. Some of you have had to bury people that you shouldn't have to bury. What am I saying to you? It's suffering. How do you, how do you become a citizen of joy when you've been a citizen of suffering? I'm telling you what we find in Scripture, what the marvel of this in the Christian life is that God uses that suffering in your life for good. You just got to hold on long enough. And when you find somebody that has that same spot in their heart that's been broken and God has done a work in your heart, who do you think he's going to use to help bring them forward? Not me. He's going to use you. I don't know what it's like to have an eating disorder. I don't know what it's like to have parents who's, who are divorced. But I do know what it feels like to have a broken heart. Sometimes the details are different. The pain's the same. What am I saying? When you're ministering to someone who actually had an abortion because you've had an abortion, I have, don't, I have some things I could say to that person. But I don't have the things that you could say to that person. You've walked a road that I haven't walked. And the reality is God uses all of our paths for people. I don't know how he does it, but he does. It's the marvel of the Christian life. You just got to step back and go, this shouldn't be good, but this actually was used for good. The enemy wants to twist and and destroy, but God just says, nah, we're actually going to take all that twisting, all that weaving, we're going to make a beautiful tapestry. Following Jesus, number eight, will cost you, but it will pay others more. Following Jesus will cost you something, but it will pay you and pay others more. These are the marvels of the Christian life, and by way of review, if you missed it, I wanted to give them to you. Those were all in the first chapter of Philippians. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the joy of serving, the model of the Christian life. If you want to be a citizen of joy, then not only do we need to marvel at the things uh, that are a part of our life in Christ, but we need to model the things in our life after Christ. One of those things is serving. It's not about you. It's not about me. There's some of these models. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit about joy in the loss, the march of the Christian life. Some of you are wondering why I'm limping. I'm very, very hurt. Yesterday I could hardly walk. Um, Ask my wife. She knows the pain tolerance I have. I'm sort of like like a pit bull. Like you could smash me in the head with a hammer and I keep coming. I just have a high pain tolerance. But I am in severe pain. I didn't fall off the roof. Doing Christmas lights. No, my 215-pound freshman son came home from wrestling practice, and at 10.30 at night in our loft, he decided, I want to see if I can take Dad. (laughs) So I started engaging this lightly, and then it got a little heated, and nobody really won. I had him in, like, this choke-out position. He did did definitely have me, and that kid is strong. So we're going to talk about joy and the loss, the march of the Christian life next week, because I have lost the use of this hip. And uh, just, just saying, I called my dad. This is just a personal story. has nothing to do with this message. Um, I called my dad and said, Dad, uh, I wrestled Xavier and I can't walk. And he goes, I remember when you were a freshman and that was the last time I ever wrestled you. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I'm going to heal up and I'm going to go at it again. No, I'm kidding. Thank you, Xavier, for, uh, for the sermon illustration. Um, then we're talking about joy to the world, the message of the Christian light, and then joy in prison and pastures. That's on Christmas Eve. So let's go to joy in serving. Let's get to Philippians chapter 2 today. 
Let's go through a few of these spots and find out the model of the Christian life and how we can be a citizen of joy. Amen? God, as we look to your word, I pray that you'd illuminate it to us. I pray that you would give us the strength not only to hear it, but to do it. Not only um, think it was a great message, but make it a little momentum in our life today. Guide us, teach us, help us to unlearn, help us to learn together as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 2, chapter 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, underline this in your Bible, full accord and in one mind. Chapter 1, we talked a little bit about external unity. And chapter 2, Paul's really zeroing in here on eternal, in, internal unity in the body. Us, the church. The only difference between us and the, Philippine, uh, the, the uh, Philippian church or our church in the Philippines is we're in St. Paul. Does that make sense? And Paul is saying, this is how you stick together. The model of the Christian life, simply stated, is this. Number one, unity makes the chords, and the chords make the music. Unity makes the chords, and the chords make the music. What happens uh, to Paul when he says, um, when we don't have the same mind, when we aren't in unity? Well, Paul says that it would simply what? His joy is made complete when there is unity and when there is us together for that church and for this church. But when we're not together, our joy is what? Incomplete. If our joy is complete in unity, then what makes it incomplete? Disunity. And if you want to be a citizen of joy, we as God's people have to be unified together. The chords make the music. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a guitar. Um, now, if you know um, a little bit about my background, I have a minor in music. My wife has a major in it. But, like, let's just say, let's just say that's it's out of tune, right? So, when we're out of tune together as a church, this is kind of what it sounds like. that great? That's actually what it sounds like when we do not live out this first apartment, uh, this first part of Philippians chapter 2. When we participate in the Spirit, when we have all of this complete joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, this is what happens when we don't have those things. Isn't that great? Aren't you loving that right now? But when we tune up place and then I stay too long. I'll probably break down and cry. Sing it with me. Oh, sweet child of mine. All right, I just played Guns N' Roses on this stage. Get over it. But did you hear how that sounded? Like we all know that song because you heard it at a bowling alley at a roller rink. You've heard it before. What's my point? When we are in unity, the ability to make a chord happens, and any song is really three or four chords max, but the chords make the music. And what I want you to know is this is how we get the fullness of joy as citizens. A couple things that should never come out of our mouth as a church. Should never come out of my mouth as your pastor. I don't care. It should never come out of your mouth. I don't care what Pastor Eric thinks. I'm doing it my way. 
That should never come out of your mouth. You know what shouldn't come out of my mouth? I don't care what you think. I'm just going to do it my way. That should never come out of our mouths. Ever. Because we do care. We need to care. Because when we care, we actually can have conversation, not confrontation. And we can actually get unified or find out where we need to be in tune so we can make the chords and the chords can make the music. It's that simple. The same mind, the same heart, the same practice. Whose responsibility is that to lay that out? Well, first of all, it's the word of God's responsibility. God's done a pretty great job doing that. Second of all, it's the life of Christ and his example. I'm pretty sure Jesus nailed that one. Thirdly, it's my responsibility as your pastor. There's really no way I can say this, but James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow brethren, because you know that he who teaches will be judged more strictly. Guess what? I have to be the one that's willing to be judged harshly. And trust me, that happens here in this room every week. And it happens actually when I stand before the Lord. To me. See, we don't stand in front of God uh, as a church. We stand in front of God as individuals. And Scripture says those that lead those individuals will be judged more harshly. And i got to be careful with this. That's why we have summit statements. That's why you don't want my opinion. I don't either. I want what the Bible teaches. You don't want my idea. You want Jesus' way. And I have to be careful with how I help us navigate this. Because there's joy in serving in one and full accord. Now, I understand that it's a loaded topic when we start talking about unity and being in tune, and then I tell you I'm the guy that tunes the guitar. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a part of us as a church when we entrust somebody to be our guide, to be our shepherd, to be our rabbi, that's like, well, I'm going to entrust that they're tuning the guitar. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And I do my best as your shepherd to tune us to the word and to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Not what a church brand, not what church politics, not what Republican, Democrat, not what the city of St. Paul, not what you think, what I think. I want us to tune to the Father's voice and make sure we're aligned there. That's my responsibility. That's my agenda. I'm not here to build a brand. I'm here to build the kingdom. I'm not here just to say, no, you got to tune it my way. No, what is his way that we need to tune to? Sometimes those things deal with me just as much as they deal with you. And what happens if we're going to be in full unity, you got to get in tune with what the word says. And I have done the best I can as your shepherd with the board navigating a number of statements about heaven, hell, Jesus, marriage, alcohol, gender, biblical, marriage roles, marriage. I've tried to do my best to clarify all of the murkiness that we walk into as Christians. It's legal to smoke weed. What do we do? We got to have a summit statement about that. Now, you don't have to agree but you do have to understand at some point it will cause you to either tune to those things or you will be the one that's dissonant. And if we are going to be citizens of joy as a people, we got to be of the same mind, same love. There are majors that we need to stand on together. And people will always question where we straddle. They will never question where we stand, even if they disagree with us. And, and I'm just telling you if, you, if you, if you're here at a church, nobody's going to tell you this at a church where they just want you to get in line and just think like everybody else. But if you're this person, you need to tune up to the word. Or some of you actually, some of you actually just need to like, you, 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 you're trying to tune, but it just keeps getting so out of tune. It's nothing but conflict with people around here. And you're just like, man, I, I can't ever get... I don't, I don't know where, how, how do I help you? Because this is actually what I think sometimes what God does to people. He moves them out of a place that they just can't tune to. And I'm going to chase you down 
I'm going to not let you run away. You are here at Summit. I want to continue to tune us to the word. But at some point, if you and I can't get on some page where we can be of the same mind, of the same love and one accord, and you can't tune to what the Holy Spirit's tuning here, this probably isn't the church for you. And that isn't something you tell people at church growth seminars. But that goes two ways. And it takes time, and it takes trust, and it takes the word, and it takes us humbly approaching scripture together going, God, what is your way? Not a church's brand, not a, not a pastor's opinion, not a political dogma. Holy Spirit, guide us in unity of same mind, same accord, same joy so we can be complete. That's my heart for this church. That's what I hope for us is to be in tune, not with Pastor Eric, but to the word. And I'll do my best as a student of this word to present it to you the best way I can stand before Jesus and say, I preached it this way. There's eight interpretations, but I chose this one of the book of Daniel, Lord. What do you think? That's, I'm gonna have to stand in front of the Lord on that one. Do nothing out of selfish, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. This is the first step in unity. In the flesh, we're often motivated by selfish ambition or conceit. Sometimes what we do isn't really out of a love for others, but it's for our own desire for advancement. That's very true in a career. We want to be promoted. We want to make sure that we have a Concern for others. Don't do anything out of selfish conceit, selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, underline this in your Bible, don't look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Number two, the model of the Christian life. Humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more. The model of the Christian life, if we're going to be citizens of joy, it's not that you are nothing and you're a wretched soul with no worth. You have no chips, you've got no gifts, you've got no talents, you've got nothing to play. And it certainly isn't like you're all that and a bag of chips. We're your God's gift to summit. Thank you for gracing us with your presence for an hour, sire. Like, it's not that either. That's high pride. That's low pride. It's actually not pride. It's humility when you think of others before you think of yourself. Paul says, look, if you want to be a citizen of joy, make sure you don't look out just for yourself, but look for others. I got to ask a couple questions, church. You ready for this one? That statement, that verse, that set of scripture, how does that impact us when someone new comes to this church? when you have never seen their face, when they're a brand new family? How do you react when you meet somebody that you don't know? How do you see those people? Are you selfish? Are you closed off? Can I ask a question? Is your group of friends at Summit, are, are you done? Are you closed like this? Is it, is it a closed club so what I'm saying to you, it's okay to have tribes. We need to have tribes. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and we all come underneath the banner. But be real careful when you put up the sign in your tribe that no new members allowed. Be real careful when there's a new family and a new person that comes to the church, and you're like, yeah, I, I actually don't want to even meet anybody new. Inspect your motive, because that verse in Philippians inspects my motive. Don't think of yourself. Think of others. Do you know what it's like to be the new kid out of school? You remember that? When you were the new kid out of school. Anybody ever have that pleasure of being the new kid at the school, whatever grade level, a new kid in high school, the new person at a job? You ever be the new guy on the job, new lady on the job? You ever do that? Well, that's how people feel when they walk into here and they're new. They feel like the new kid. And there are some situations that we got to be really aware of. My son Xander made a hockey team this year that I didn't think he was going to make. 
And it's his second year playing hockey. He shouldn't be playing at this level. But he's doing great. He's having a lot of fun. But he's the new kid. He had one kid on his team from last year. All new kids. Wanted to quit. Got in the car at night with tears in his eyes. Because he's the new kid. His value isn't there because he's not the best goal scorer, certainly isn't the best skater, certainly isn't the best uh, hockey player in general. So he's in a new environment where his value and his worth is, is not who he is, but what he does. And you know, it's taken weeks and it's taken a coach, a great coach that's in his world to help him become a part of that world. Well, you're on the hockey team and I'm your coach and when somebody comes here to play hockey, you better pay attention. You better be aware of how this impacts us when somebody new comes into us. What does that look like? We've got connect cards that people fill out. And I usually call them. And then they're um, invited to this thing called the expedition. And then they go to there. And then they go to maybe Alpha or like they come and they just start checking out different ministries of the church. But do you know who my assimilation plan is for people around here? You know what my master plan is for, for this church when someone new comes in? Do you know what the solution is? Another program, pie with a pastor, a newcomer's lunch. We have a buffet with, with, with other people. That, do you know, all those things are great. They could be great. But do you know what my plan is? You. My plan is actually you. You are my plan. Is that when people come to this church, they get somebody that welcomes them with open arms and says, just like Pastor Chad said two weeks ago, and I asked him to make this challenge, challenge everybody in this church to have coffee with someone they don't know once a month and have dinner with somebody they do know once a month because you need both. You are the plan for Summit. You are the plan for St. Paul. You are who God is going to use as a citizen of joy in somebody else's life when you think of others, not just yourself. We can't be a club. We must remain a church. Verse five, having this mind, this mind of unity where other people are important, having this mind where we're tuned to the Holy Spirit, we're tuned to what the word says, we're tuned to Christ, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Now there are two words, as far as I can see, Paul could have used here when he used the word form of God. Two words at his disposal. He could use one or the other, tomato or tomato. Schema or morphe. He could use one of these two. One of them, schema, has to do with the outward form. He didn't use that word. Jesus wasn't the form of God externally. He uses this morphe form, the form of God. It's the internal, it's the never-changing character is what he's saying. I find that so interesting and so profound of the deity of Christ. The character of God was in him. We get hung up a lot of times on the external. Was Jesus a man? Was he Jewish? Was he a Norwegian guy with blonde hair and blue eyes? I don't really care. First of all, cultures of all kinds are going to paint Jesus or display Christ how they want him to be displayed externally. If you grow up in the Polynesian Islands and you create a picture of Jesus, do you think it's going to look like Fabio? You know that painting out there? Jesus' eyes? Do you know why one eye is blue and one eye is brown? Because I painted it that way. Number one. Number two is because that's actually how I see Christ. He's for everyone. And whether you got brown eyes or blue eyes or green eyes or no eyes, you should be able to see yourself in Christ. And we, we get focused on this external, but it's another word of internal character and nature that Paul is talking about here. He did not empty, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself. Kenosis. This is, I, I preached a sermon on this. I can't go into this. This, de, this deserves its own message. I preached one months ago. Just write the word kenosis. Do a deep dive on this. This is amazing how he emptied himself. There's great implications here. By taking on the form of a servant, being in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Underline that. He humbled himself to the point of being obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him in the name that is above every name. So that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's a, that's a mouthful right there. But what I want you to grab a hold of is the model of the Christian life. Humility and unity, if that's really what it's going to be, it's going to require what? A death to your preferences. Jesus even said to God, uh, the Father in the garden, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, you could, you, could you take this cup? That's what he said. I think sometimes we, we need to look at that and go, is there any other way for us? It's going to require, humility and unity are going to require at some point in your life a death to your preference. God so loved me that he gave his only son for me. Yes, but the world. Our Father who art in heaven, give me, give me, give me, give me. I, 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 I. We have to be careful in this because if we're really truly going to be humble and we're truly going to be in unity as citizens of joy, it's going to require this. And the Greeks in this part of the world, they hated humility. It would be totally anti-cultural to be humble. He humbled himself? You mean he could have been God or, you know, aspired to be something greater than God? He was God and he emptied himself, taking on the form of a man? See, that was something that the Greek culture would be like, dude, this dude doesn't have it together. But Jesus is showing us a different way. It had nothing to do with climbing the ladder. Uh, Jesus got off the ladder and grabbed the towel. And this is so different than how we're wired as Americans to live. If we're going to be a citizen of joy, we got to be humble and we got to be unified. But to do that, it will require a death. I'm going to say something to you, and I want you just to remember this if you can. Um, you're never more like Christ when you serve others, and you're never more like Satan when you serve yourself. Now, I know there's, there is a caveat to this where we got to talk about our own self-care and our mental health and us being able to uh, endure the burning. And we can't just, you know, burn the candle at both ends and in the middle. I, I know that there's some conversations around how we need to make sure that we are working hard. But you know what? We don't rest well, so then we just work all the time. I know there's something hardwired called the Sabbath that God has instituted, and if we keep it, it actually makes this make a lot of sense. All I'm saying to you is we are never more like Christ when we serve others, and we're never more like Satan when we serve ourselves. We're never more like Christ when you serve others to the point of a death to yourself, and you're never more like Satan when you are selfish to your preference at the expense of others. It can't be in here if we're going to be citizens of joy. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now not only walk in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul's saying, if I'm not watching, what are you doing? Can I talk about micromanagement for a second? I am not a micromanager, period. That is the, that's the worst part of me as your pastor, well, other than Danielle's list, is just... I don't do really well naturally like just to constantly inspect a process. I do really well like launching things out, but I do really, I have to really work at circling back and going, how's it going? Can I help you with this? You're not doing good here. And I got to like sit there. I don't do well on that other side. And Paul, I don't think he did that well either, first of all, because he even says, you know what? When I'm not watching, what are you doing? If I'm not telling you to have coffee with somebody, and when I, when I say to you as a church, um, 
you should have coffee with somebody you don't know and have a dinner with somebody you do know, um, you could either say, well, that's a great idea, Pastor Eric. Thanks for your input. Or you can say, I'll try them. I'll try that. That actually just might build the kingdom of God, build my life. Pastor Eric might actually be hearing from the Holy Spirit on this challenge for our church. And then you put that into play. See, if I'm not watching or if I'm not there, does the trash ever get emptied at my house right now, Xavier? Let's talk about this for a second. When I come home, is the trash emptied out of the kitchen? No. Answer's no. It's sitting in there, and then I go, Xavier, take out the trash. And you know what he says? Okay, Dad. The day I come into the kitchen and the trash is emptied out, and I didn't have to say anything, I am throwing a party. <laughs> Work out your own salvation with fear and what? Trembling. God who works in with you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me just remind you all, all of the tension that you have about all of the things in your life that you're navigating, I will help you as best I can as a guide to give you God's word, but you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I am not standing in front of you and Jesus. You are standing in front of Jesus by yourself. Okay? And that, that's you working that through. I'm always going to point you to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. No, the knowledge, the tree of life. I'm, I rarely am going to sit down with you as your pastor and even up front give you the checkbox. Yes, no, right, wrong. That's scripture's job. I want to give you the tree of life. Eat from that fruit. But just know that you have to work that out for you. This is very important. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, Paul says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. In the midst of a crooked generation, so I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain, he says at the end of verse 16. Can I just say this? This isn't in my notes, but serving has a soundtrack. Citizens of joy have a soundtrack. Citizens of joy have a soundtrack. And it doesn't include grumbling, it doesn't include complaining, and it does not include disputing. Citizens of joy have a soundtrack. It's a beautiful sound. We always need to approach each other in those sensitive areas where we may disagree with one another or there's a problem we need to solve to keep us tuned together with conversation, not confrontation. Matthew 18, go to your brother. If there's something happening in this church, and, and you just run to me like the principal, my first question is, is, have you even talked to this person about this? Conversation, not confrontation. Making sure that our serving has a soundtrack. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you that I may be cheered on by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus, which begs the question, what are Christ's interests? But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. There's a section of verses here from 17 to 24 that have a theme that Paul trusts Timothy with this congregation. And can I just tell you something as your shepherd, as your pastor, as the guy that's in, uh, like, like in this spot right now? I don't trust everybody with you. I want you to know that. I don't trust all the YouTubers. I certainly don't trust all the politicians. I don't trust people with you. I don't trust them in your life. I don't trust their voices if I don't know them. I don't trust people with you easy. That's, that's really hard for me, to trust you to somebody else. Because I think there's a lot of people that look out for their own interests. So I'm learning how to trust people with you. Sometimes that feels like I do too much. I'm taking on too much. I'm involved in too many things. Like I'm on the roof decorating for Christmas. But I don't trust anybody else on the roof. 
You hear what I'm saying to you? I just, I, I'm wrestling through that. I always want to protect you from that, but I'm telling you, Paul didn't trust people either with them. And I'm just asking, Lord, bring people that I can trust with your people. And I believe he has. I believe that woman that stood on this stage, Pastor Naomi, I believe she's one of them. I could go through the list of the staff that has been here, including Pastor Brandon and the staff that is to come. And I will tell you one thing, if I don't trust them in a foxhole, they won't be on this team. Because it's your life on the line. I have thought it necessary to send him to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For it's been longing for you and it's been distressed because if you heard that he was ill, indeed he was ill, even near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm more eager to send him, therefore, so that you may rejoice in seeing him again, that I might be less anxious. Uh, there's another guy involved in here, and he's been sick, and Paul has great empathy for him, not only for the people that miss him, but for him himself. Number five, and I'm getting to my last point, is just simply the model of the Christian life. Empathy, empathy, empathy is an essential ingredient for humility and unity. To feel what another's feeling, that's empathy. That is essential for, for us to be unified. When you're going through something, Keith, you were downstairs at Alpha last week and you had a bunch of teeth pulled out of your face and you couldn't even talk. You were, like, you were doing like charades at Alpha. My heart hurt for you. You're, I know what that feels like. Some of you go through some hard things. Some of you are going through some hard things. And it's hard. I have empathy for you. I feel what you're feeling. I'm doing my best to help you. And sometimes I feel so overwhelmed and so unequipped. And, and the board and I have these conversations. Like, I sent a text to the board this week. I said, what, what do we do here with this one? Like, where do I even start? Because I, I feel this in my heart. And we have to have empathy for each other. That's feeling what one another feel. What keeps us from being empathetic? I think sometimes it's our own busyness. We don't have any margin for other people. We're too busy hurting that we can see someone else hurt. We've got our own problems. A lot of times depression, full-on depression or anxiety, it will just keep you from being empathetic because you're trying to do self-preservation. That's one of the things that you will lose the ability if you're really wrestling with depression and anxiety, you will lose the ability for empathy for others. That's a really good sign where this is just not a bad day or kind of a, you know, you're worried about the future, but you're actually dealing with full-blown depression, anxiety, which started with worry and fear, which Jesus talks about. And if that is you, we want to help you navigate that the best as we can as a staff, as another ministry that operates out of this church. Because when you lose the empathy for others, that should be a red flag for you that you've got something you need to right the ship in your own life. So when that's gone, something else is present. Now, empathy is feeling what other people feel. I think sometimes we're not empathetic because we have unrealistic expectations for people. I had somebody text me out of the blue this week that was highly intoxicated. Most of you have my cell phone number. I hope you know this by now. Like, if you've gone through the expedition, you do. And, and somebody texted me, he, highly intoxicated. And the, expedition, the expectations on me were so unrealistic that they were angry that I couldn't do that. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for people, what they can and cannot do in your life. I can only pay so many mortgages other than my own. Empathy is feeling what another, no, I'll just say this, compassion is putting that feeling in action. Putting legs and boots on the ground in someone else's life. Paul says, do that. Feel this, but move forward in this. Do what you can. Now here's the last point, and I love this. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive him in all joy 
and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Last point, the model of the Christian life, the joy of serving is serving is made complete through others' contributions. There's tension in this, but what I love that Paul says is there's someone else is going to complete what you didn't. He said, this person is going to complete what you were lacking in. And if you ever feel like you're not enough, guess what? You're not. He is. We are. It's called the body of Christ. There's joy in this tension. Not one of us can do it all. We need all of us to do something and we can get it done. Just like when there's no sound system on a Sunday morning. Just like when the walks need to be shoveled and people need to be fed and our city needs to be healed. And cops need to be honored and challenged. Marriages need to be restored. We could go through the list if you want. We can, not one of us can do all of that, but all of us need to do some of that. And Paul says, look, you're not all going to do it, but someone is going to make up where you leave off. So here's my challenge for you as a citizen of joy. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you ordered some food and you get your dressing on the side? Or you get your sauce on the side? Or let's just be truthful. You ask for three extra ranches. That's probably more plausible. You know what I'm talking about? They bring you your food and your sauce is missing. They forgot the bucket of ranch. And you're like, what the heck? I ordered this chicken sandwich with a side of ranch. Where is it? You get all hot, you throw the table. I'm speaking from experience going out to eat with my wife. <laughs> Actually, she's the most humble, meek person I know. But um, you hear what I'm saying? Something's missing. Have you ever caught the person that's walking by? Like, they're not even helping you. They probably don't even work there. <laughs> they're just literally trying to go to the bathroom. And you're like, excuse me, uh, sir? And they're like crazy lady or they do work there and they're the hostess or they're just like the dude that's on the expo station filling up ramekins of ranch all night and he's just chucking them out because you are all addicted to ranch what's my point you flag that person down you're like excuse me um yeah real quick sorry to bother you but um i ordered this and and it's missing what i want it's lacking something did you get that for me? What's that person do? It ain't my job. I'll talk to your server. They'll get it over for you. Quit asking me that. No, at a great restaurant, you know what they do? I'll grab you your ranch. I'll be right back. It's not their job. It's not their table. It's not even their role. But they show up and they do it for you and your stupid chicken sandwich. What am I saying to you, church? I'm saying in the area that we are in, with all of the things that we're navigating, we're growing faster than we've ever, that we could ever imagine. Like the church is growing. God is increasing us in St. Paul. There are going to be holes. There are going to be things that get missed. There are going to be things that feel a little ambiguous. There are going to be those moments where we're just like, where's my ranch? And just know when you encounter that, that joy in serving is going to have a soundtrack. It's going to have some death to your preference. It's going to take some empathy and humility. It's going to take everything in Philippians chapter 2 for you to say, I will, uh, I'll get you a ranch. Because I just think it tastes better when we get everything that God has for us. So, just rest in that, the joy in serving. As citizens of joy, that's the model of the Christian life. Humbly, in one accord, let's continue to tune together to the word and to Christ. 
Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about joy and loss, the motion of the Christian life. How do we, how do we be a citizen of joy when we're not added to, but things are taken away? When we have to bury that child, when that marriage ends in divorce, when we didn't get the job, when we lose a part of ourselves. What a, how do we have joy when, when our old lifestyle's gone and we don't know how to live in a world sober? Like, how do we become a citizen of joy there in the loss? I think in Philippians chapter 3, we, we get a really good understanding how to do that, to be a citizen of joy. God, I just thank you so much for us gathered here today as we look to your word. I pray, Lord, that this, um, just the, the, the marvel of the Christian life that you have for us, Jesus, that we'd be swept up in those marvels. It would truly anchor us in, in being a citizen of joy when everything is changing around us. I pray, Lord, that today uh, as we look in our own lives on some of these questions on how we put others first or ourselves first, Give us the ability to navigate that together. Help us to tune to you, Holy Spirit. God, continue to reveal your word to us so we can be in line with it. Give us that fullness of joy, that oneness, that full of cord, that, that, that beautiful sound of serving. God, I just pray for those that are here that, um, that are dealing with what you're dealing with in them especially the death of their preference, that they would be reminded that you were obedient, even to death. I pray, God, that we would uh, be a church that, um, that feels what others are feeling, and we'd solve the problems that sometimes we create, sometimes that we inherit, sometimes that we just see circumstantially surface. God, I just pray that when we um, walk by each other in our lives, that when that opportunity arises, we wouldn't just ask for the staff to do it. We wouldn't just ask for someone else to do it. We wouldn't come up with a laundry list of reasons individually. God, we just would go get the ranch and serve one another. That's, that's the kind of church that we want to be before you, Jesus, one that serves one another and loves as you have loved. So when they see us and they look at us, it's not our location, it's not our brand, it's not you fill in the blank. It's, it's our compassion in action that begins with empathy, that's birthed through humility and a death to ourselves. Make us citizens of joy and serving you and each other. In Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. To help you apply the truth found in Scripture, we always like to ask three questions What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue, or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history, along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. 
Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things, become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what do we do around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.